name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Three weeks ago from tomorrow, I was preparing for this sermon on 2 Corinthians 5. I wanted to pull it forward this week because I never got a chance to preach it. I was preparing for it. The Lord um, had kind of lined things up. It's not a uh, text associated with stewardship. In fact, on a Sunday like this, I mean, you got Malachi, you got Paul, which we also heard read um, in his letter, spurring on the Macedonian Christians, and even that wonderful text of Jesus that has left many confounded ever since about um, rendering to God what is God's and rendering to Caesar what is Caesar's. Uh, But I was preparing for that sermon. It it had all these wonderful images and themes. The Lord kind of pulled it together, but there was one piece that I just couldn't quite pin down, and it was my opening illustration. I thought I had it nailed. I loved the illustration I had, Um, but the Lord throughout the day and the way that I work with him just kind of gave me a check. That's not it. That's not it. So I was like, okay, well, try this one. That's not it. And so I wrestled it down all day long and finally put a pen in it and went to bed, and the next day I figured out why. I was on my way to take my daughter to school um, when, I, when I felt quite ill, ill enough that um, some of the parents had to call my bride to let her know that I wasn't doing too hot. Um, so I'm, I'm a little bit of a stubborn soul um, at times, and uh, I, I think some of us, as I was reminded by someone else, that are in caregiving roles don't care for ourselves all that well. So at the urging of her and my parents, I went to urgent care. And that doctor looked at me after five minutes and said, look, I'm going to give you two options. I said, all right, shoot. He said, I can run a few tests, and then you go to the hospital, or you can go to the hospital and run a few tests. I was still fairly um, stubborn at that point, and I think my words to him were, is there an option where I don't go to the hospital? And he said, no. So off we went. I spent most of the day there. Um, I was a medical anomaly. My, my symptoms didn't match up anything they could figure out. Finally, they just gave up and admitted me that night. Um, the next day, uh, the attending doctor came in, and either consciously or subconsciously, he referenced that TV show, House. Do you remember that one? It's a whole TV show about strange medical things that they can't figure out. At, at that morning, I was still trying to ask him, like, so I'm going to leave today, right? And he goes, wouldn't that be nice? Um, <laughs> You know, you know, it'd be kind of like house, wouldn't it? When, when, wouldn't it be great if in 90 minutes we could figure out what's going on with you, hit you with what you need and send you home? Yeah, it's going to take some time. So um, as I was sitting there waiting impatiently for these things to unfold, this was kind of going through my mind, this text. And I'd like to bring it forward this morning because, interestingly, the one thing that resonated with me, this is how God works, if you ever wonder, in all of my preparation, I had two uh, quotes that really spoke to me, and this was the first one from a Syrian bishop in the seventh century. Prepare your heart for your departure. If you're wise, you'll expect it every hour. And so I spent the week kind of reflecting on that um, in the heels of it. And I want to revisit this text today. Because really the theme of trust we've been looking at in stewardship, the place to end really is looking at trusting the outcome, trusting the outcome of our faith. If anything lands with you on stewardship and all aspects of your life, it should be molded and shaped by trusting the outcome. 
And so I want to point to why I pulled that forward for you this morning in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to just revisit this a little bit. Again, it's not a passage traditionally associated with stewardship, but, but it really resonates on so many levels, really as we're capping that season out uh, today. In verse 1, uh, Paul opens with these three words, for we know. He's pointing back to several points that he's taught. Um, one of the richest chapters, um, arguably, in the New Testament is, is chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Paul writes uh, extensively on uh, the resurrection, um, the resurrection of the body, life after death. And then he tips his hand to it again in chapter 4 before we pick up in chapter 5 with this. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, the tent to which he refers to is the body. And for his readers, he would know that this might trigger something in their mind. Um, This imagery of the tent would call forward um, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. It was a a Jewish celebration once a year whereby um, they were, according to the law, instructed to leave their homes, wherever they resided in in Israel, and go and build these temporary structures, these tents, if you will, and go and dwell in them for the better part of a week. It was to remind them of their pilgrimage out of Egypt and into the promised land, to remind them that first and foremost, they're pilgrims in this life. And even though they have a place where they reside now, never forget, never forget what God has done, never forget what God is doing. And so Paul kind of contrasts this. If the tent, that is our body, uh, our earthly home is destroyed, we know we have a building with God. Building and tent. We see the imagery of permanence and impermanence, right? A house not made with human hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, this is not a contrast to say that the, the temporal is in some way not good or that the body that we've been given is not made by God. That's not the case. What Paul's wanting to say is that remember you're a pilgrim first and foremost. Remember you're a pilgrim in this life, and remember that there is a permanent dwelling in the heavens with God. And for that reason, in verse 2, in this tent, in this body, we groan, um, not because it aches and pains, although perhaps there's a little bit of that, but we long to put on our heavenly dwelling. It's not a negative, but it's a don't forget where you're headed. Lean in and await, looking forward to that promise. If, indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. So Paul also wants us to see that the permanent dwelling is not something just totally different than the one that we've been given. The resurrection of the body, and there's there's whole teachings here, right, is not other than. We don't become different than what God's created us. We're not then going to be angelic beings or something of that nature. I mean, the body that we've been given will be perfected by God's grace on that day, and it'll be incredible without all the the, the challenges we face. What that looks like, um, we catch glimpses of in Jesus after the resurrection, but we don't fully comprehend. And so Paul saying this, while we're in this tent, we do groan being burdened. We're not looking to be unclothed, something other than, but to be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He's looking forward to that. And Paul's even saying, before we even get to this at home and away from the Lord, wouldn't it be great if I was just further clothed and I didn't even have to taste death? He's kind of acknowledging that right up front. So if by now you're wondering, what does any of this have to do with stewardship? Um, let, me, let me submit to you this, this first thought to keep before us in our lives. 
trust the outcome is first a frame through which we see everything. It's, it's the worldview through which we look at life. And those um, who don't hold to the Christian faith have their own worldview and frames that they look at life. And it's not that this life is a pilgrimage to that eternal dwelling. In some cases, it's this is it, and I'm going to give it all I've got, um, or whatever their, their frame may be. And so for us, at least from, from a real high-level standpoint, before we kind of move to the next layer here, is a recognition that we begin with the end in sight in all aspects of our lives because we recognize that that is the frame that God has given us and revealed to us, both in his Son, Jesus Christ, and then through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as unpacked through the corpus of, stri- of Scripture, of course. And so we begin with that, because before we look at our response, before we look at anything it does in us, it's, it's why. Well, that's the frame for our worldview as Christians. And as such, it moves us in sundry ways. What does it move us to do? Well, I would um, suggest, let's look back at verse 5, or 4, 4, 5, 5. So Paul picks up this theme here. He says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Paul uses that language uh, here. He uses the the language of a pledge and a guarantee in Ephesians. Um, It's always conjoined often, well, he teaches it primarily around baptism, right? And we see that. It's through the waters of baptism um, in the invocation of the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, that we are incorporated grafted into, uh, made members of the body of Christ. And then historically, at the end of every baptism is this chrismation, this sign of the cross that's made on the newly baptized forehead, and the words are said, you are marked and sealed as Christ's own forever. What Paul's pointing to is that guarantee is a pledge, it's a down payment, it's, it's a promise that what God begins there will come to completion. What he's talking about here, about this eternal dwelling in the heavens, this worldview he's unpacking, all of these things, he's not just saying just, just hope, but no, we know this. We, we have it with assurance. God's already given us the down payment toward that end. And for that reason, and that reason alone, arguably, in verse 6, then he continues and says, so we're always of good courage, no matter what we face. For while we're at home in the body, we, we know we're away from the Lord. And thus, in verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, again, he repeats, we're of good courage, while we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He's, he's pointing out this different way of living. If that's the case, then the call of the Christian life, right, um, is not just to say, yeah, I have this different way of looking at the world, but the way in which I look at the world then brings everything into focus, brings everything into focus and clarity, not just in how we see it, but then in our response to every aspect of our lives. So at the end of uh, every summer, roughly, if we can time it out right, um, we, like every family, before school run through our series of, you know, doctor's appointments and whatnot, on, on Claire's list as we go see uh, the eye doctor. 
And this past summer, um, they wanted to tweak her, her prescription just slightly. And so once we picked it up, they said, okay, you know, here's a couple things you're looking for. Make sure we don't get headaches. Make sure that, you know, uh, we're not having trouble with, with the new lenses and, and ask her those questions and get back to us if there's any concerns. So at the end of the first week, uh, I asked Claire, I said, do you have a headache? She said, no. I said, you know, do, you, uh, do, do your lenses feel okay? And she said, well, yes. And I thought, well, that was not a really great way to put it. So I reframed it, and I said, so well, do you notice a difference between these glasses and your other glasses? And she said, yes. And I said, well, what difference do you notice? And she said, everything is a little clear. Um, things aren't quite as fuzzy. And she articulated it kind of in her way. And in a sense, that's what happens with us when we begin to not just look at life through the way in which God gives us, but when we live life in that way. Um, I mean, we think about this, right? Everybody in life will have a focus, whether they realize it or not. And that focus and frame then becomes the way in which they, they not only see the world, but they engage the world. So for some folks, that focus and frame can be um, moving toward or away from something. It can be the way in which they apply themselves in every aspect of their lives. Um, it, it can look different for every purpose in person. But for us, that focus and frame should keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Thomas Aquinas, one of the great theologians um, of past eras, put it this way. He said, God's destined us for an end beyond our grasp of reason. God's destined us for an end beyond our grasp of reason. If that's the case, then the way we apply ourselves in our lives should be driven by that end result, that end outcome that we look forward to, that we do not yet see, but by faith we are looking toward. So then what's our response? Our response, at least as Paul kind of frames it, I kind of cut him off mid-thought mid here um, in verse 9, but we'll revisit it, and then verse 10 as well. Paul says, so whether we're at home or away, in the body or with the Lord, we make it our aim to please him. Whether we're home or away, we make it our aim to please him. That is our, our focus and then in verse 10, he reminds us of, of a fact. It's not really laying on the heavy as an exhortation, remember, but rather in a positive way to say we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so each one will receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. As an aside, um, if you ever need uh, a reminder that Paul never just wrote about faith only with no action required. There's sometimes a straw man put forward theologically, which irks me, that Paul was about faith and James works and they were juxtaposed. Um, that's not the case. These two voice, the verses point that Paul is saying, yes, faith proceeds our any action, but, but faith without any movement on our part then really is, is kind of just out in the ether, if you will. So his point really is that if we have faith in Christ, if our aim is on Christ Jesus and what we've been promised, then it is our aim to please him because we want to. We want to do that. We want to delight in him because he delights in us. And so then what we do in this life is framed towards that end. And so I'd ground it um, perhaps in this way, um, that trusting the outcome is not just a frame and a focus, but if we actually then order our lives in that way, we'll find freedom. 
Think about it this way. Most people are always looking for a way in which they're going to not just look and engage the world, but how they see what they're looking through truly will frame the way in which they engage the world around them. And that can be aiming towards freedom from something, freedom from a name or a legacy, freedom from uh, a zip code or freedom from, I mean, the list can go on and on. And that can be one's aim in life. Or it can be a freedom for I want to get to the point where I'm retired and I can set my own time and schedule. I mean, you know, folks have these things. And, and what happens when they hit that mark? Um, then, well, I don't know. That's where we land more often than not people in our office because I don't, I, my whole life was aimed at that thing. And I either missed it or I achieved it, and I really don't know what to do now. Um, so the freedom that we're given in Christ is actually backwards because the world looks at it and says, man, you guys are like, you got all these hooks in you as Christians on the way you live. And I go, no. I mean, the beauty of it is I know why I'm living the way I am, and I find freedom in Christ in all that I do. The way I pattern my days, the way I pattern my giving, the way I pattern the way I use my, my, my energy and my efforts, they're all framed towards that. But let me tell you this, there's always going to be a growth edge. So for me, our stewardship um, in our life, I was catechized from a young age as to how to steward finances. And that was something that we uh, joined into in our marriage. That's something we're teaching our kids. Um, we'll always explore and engage and pray about where the Lord may lead us. But that's, that's not really our growth edge. Um, for me, when I was laying in a hospital bed, the growth edge was God got a hold of me and realized you can't just keep running yourself into the ground. There's a reason why I created a Sabbath and you're not taking it. And so, you know, Sabbath rest isn't just a nice idea to unwind, but if you keep pushing and pushing and pushing, it came on the week of being out nearly almost every night that week, and then uh, for meetings and things, and then the following week while I'm there, um, the Lord reminded me, and whether you're here or not, I'm going to do what I need to do. It was on a week when I had the most important set of meetings for my whole year, and I missed all of them. And you know what? God did what he needed to do. He didn't need me to do it. But it reminded me that I'm only as good as I'm offering myself to him. And I don't know where your growth edge is. But when we look at stewardship, what I would ask you to do is wherever your growth edge is, ask the Lord and find some way where you can kind of press in there a little bit more. Where might you move forward in some degree? That's why on our commitment cards, when we send those out, um, there's not just a where are you going to give, but it's where will you um, steward your time and plug in? Um, where will you prioritize your efforts? Where uh, will you continue to serve the Lord? Not because, um, you know, we need to be doing good things, but because that mobilizes and puts our faith in motion in that way. So I'd encourage you to reflect on that. Um, if you're here and, and, and this is your, your first week with us or this is not your church home, um, on, a, on a Sunday like this where we bring commitments before the Lord, let me at least just say, please don't feel any obligation. Um, really, what, all I would ask is sit with what the Lord may be talking to you about in Scripture. If you've never uh, looked at putting your trust in the Lord with that total outcome of your life, um, I, I'd ask that you just wrestle with that in prayer when that time comes. Um, if you are visiting and you have another church home, um, where might that look like or what might that look like in your church when you return? Or if you're just looking to be grounded and rooted in a church, um, I'd encourage you to reflect on what that community might be um, as you're finding your feet, your feet there as well. Um, but for those of you who call this your church home, I'd, I'd ask you to look at where are those areas God may be calling you 
And uh, my prayer truly has been um, word and deed, right? That um, when we move in a moment and you bring your commitments and put them uh, on the basket, on the altar in a bit, um, that as you do that, that journey would be symbolic of the journey you're going to take with the Lord this year. Um, That as you're looking at uh, what Jesus has done for you and you come forward, that you'd be mindful of that image next year. I'm going to move closer to him in this way. And by his grace, he'll help me work that out. And at times it may be tough. At times we may not get it right, but we continue to work out our salvation before him. And we do so not solo acts, but together. Um, And we ask for God's grace toward that end. So today, as we make our commitments before the Lord, continue to trust the outcome and move into what the Lord has called you to do toward that end so that you may be fixed on that permanent dwelling as we were reminded we are pilgrims on that journey each and every day until we inhabit that eternal dwelling with our Lord in the heavens where we will be with him forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.